0: You know what happens to a Christian that sows a lot of Bible seed in their life? They get a lot of Bible harvests. Yes, they do. I'm going back to Luke 6:38 for just a moment tonight. Supernatural increase, the law of the harvest. Scripture says give and it will be. You give and do. Do you believe that tonight? Say, well, I don't give to receive. Listen, it doesn't make a difference whether you give to receive or not. If you give. You're keeping a spiritual law, it shall be given. Now, the motivation, supreme motive for any giving of any kind is love of God shed abroad in our hearts. But I can go out as a farmer and say, I'm going to sow all these four, five, six, eight, ten thousand 10,000 acres, and I'm doing it understanding that lots of people in this nation and around the world are going to be fed. I love people and I want them to have food in their belly. That could be his motivation. But at the end of the day, how many know that farmer's still looking for a harvest? And the day where you are ashamed of being a harvester needs to leave the body of Christ. That's not of God. Say it, if I sow, I'm going to reap. What's that called spiritual law? We see it in Genesis 8:22. We see it in Genesis 1:26 through 28. Jesus reaffirms the principle here: give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be what? It'll be, it'll be poured into your bosom now, if you want to understand what that means, poured into your lap in excess that you can't contain. It, it basically just falls on the floor because you can't possibly collect at all. That's what happens when a person is a lifestyle sewer and not a part-time planner. Saying, I'm a sower. That's my lifestyle. Going back to Philippians 4 for a moment, uh, real critical that you understand that the tithe is the foundation, but the giving ultimately becomes the seed. And in verse 14 of chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul's commending them, and he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Now, if you think about sowing and giving in a local church and into ministries, if you think of that as somehow a negative or something that's lost for you and something that somebody's trying to force or manipulate you to do, listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's to your advantage to be a sower. He's looking for something that benefits you. And he says this, I've received full payment and even more, and I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrance offering, acceptable acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Do you see this tonight? When you sow, you're pleasing to God. Raise your hand if you want to please God. If you'll do a study sometime of all the things that please God, of course you'll find out that without faith it's impossible to what? Please God. And you'll also find out the scripture says that Jesus, he always pleased God. What an amazing thing. We haven't arrived yet. We're still working process. But how do you know one day that uh, you'll be like he is? And you'll always please him. When you see something that pleases God like this, you should make a note of that, that being a sower pleases God. You want to please your father? Be like he is. Why would you sowing and giving be pleasing to him? Because that's his nature. I tell you, he wants to say, that's my girl. That's my son. That's, right, man. that's my boy. He acts just like I do. I'm a giver, and he or she is a giver as well. And he goes on to say, they're pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs. My God that is pleased with your sowing will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So the promise, my God shall supply all your needs, is not something you pluck out of the text and apply it to yourself unless you've kept the condition. You'll find out the promises of God within the context of covenant. Based on the covenant we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, the promises are conditional. That doesn't mean they're works-based. If you don't have faith in Christ, you're not going to go down this path anyway. You're not going to believe what the Word of God says about these things, so it's going to be a moot point for you. But in walking with Him, and you keep the condition, you can enjoy the promises attached to it. Does that make sense? Jesus said give and what? It will will what? He didn't say give and that's all the the scripture he's given you. No, give and it shall be given. What's the condition? Give. Give. Look at somebody and say, this is not rocket science. science. (laughs) But the way people are confused by it, you think that it was. It's just the basic teachings of Scripture going all the way back to the Old Covenant. These things still apply to us. So in Philippians, it's the same thing. Pleasing God through your giving and supportive ministries beyond the foundation of the tithe, thinking about what Philippians did. And I'll tell you something else that strikes me about the Philippians. Notice what it says. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set off from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. You know what it says about the Philippians? They were quick to jump on the sower bandwagon. Amen. Let me try that again. They were quick to do it. Not a fighting and fuming and fussing, you know, not rejecting and resisting, but they were quick. Everybody else was slow to the revelation. They were quick to catch this, and I encourage you, be one to receive revelation and act on that revelation because I could sit here tonight and probably take up most of your night and most of the next morning just telling you testimony after testimony in our lives, in our family, in the church of times where things were sown and God caused something to harvest over and over and over and over and over again. When time at Barnett, for example, was building the Dream Center in Los Angeles. You know, our board got together, we were over in the Dome, and, um, you know, we were just kind of getting started in some of these things and reaching out and growing in faith and growing in the knowledge of God. And the Lord kind of put it into my spirit that uh, we need to help them get that Dream Center. That Dream Center feeds thousands and thousands of people Amen. every single week. Amen. Notice, pleasing God is a big deal. Amen. Oh, when you please God, you're going to harvest and we were in the middle of this planning, you know, you know plans were being drawn. And uh, I tell you, we sent them, it, it was a, a, a $1,000 check. But I'm going to tell you what, it was a hot check, since it was a bad check. <laughs> it was a hot check of faith. This was something that God had laid in the heart and in a lot of ministries could have and did a whole lot more than that. We sowed that in faith, and I'm telling you, within two weeks, a businessman walked up to one of our elders, one of our board members, and said, you know, is the church in need of a new building? And he said, yes. I thanked him for that answer. Thank you for saying yes. (laughs) And within a couple weeks, the church was given $100,000 was paid for all the red iron and concrete that you see around you off of a $1,000 seed. So many of these stories, you know, through the years, you know, I haven't cataloged them or written them down, and the Holy Ghost can bring them to your remembrance, but you too, if you've been in this long enough, you can remember a time where God impressed you, you got involved in this, you didn't, you know, hedge your bets and hold out like everybody else, but like the Philippian believers in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, what a powerful thing that is. In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, you believed God would heal You believe God would deliver. You believe God would baptize in the Holy Ghost. You believe that God would give back to a sower. They just didn't fight over it. And he commended them for it. And I'll tell you what, I don't know what God did for them, but according to what Paul was saying, my God shall supply an awful lot of needs, an awful lot of blessings came their way as they just submitted to that revelation. How many you want to be like the Philippians in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel? How sad would it be, you know, to be saved 90 years and still not getting it? Well, I would say, you know what, you know, better, better late than never, you know, in the last year of your acquaintance with the gospel. <laughs> yeah, because you'll still get some results. But God is wanting us to embrace the truth and live this out. Again... We know from Corinthians that God is praised and thanked when we are used as vessels, you know, uh, as sowers, and we are blessing people and helping people out. So say it with me, I'm like those Philippine believers. I'm going to get it early. I'm going to get it good. In Jesus' name. Now, the harvest, the law of the harvest is very simple. There's a time to sow. And There's what? A time to reap. And notice what I said. It's a law going all the way back to Genesis 8, 22. It's very plain from Scripture, which means if we sow, and we sow correctly, and we sow appropriately, and we'll talk about that tonight, the things that can go wrong in your sowing, um, you're going to reap. Amen. Now, there should be no shame in that. There should be no resistance in that. If you're good enough in terms of your, your submission to God to be a sower, you should also be just as an aggressive reaper. Amen. Amen. They expect God to do those things that he said in his word. He, you didn't make this up. You didn't write this. He's the one that wrote it. And how many understand Luke 6, 38 is in red. What does something in red mean? Jesus himself, the incarnate word said this. So you can take him at his word. So say with me, seed time and harvest. And so whatever seeds we have sown, we should continue to believe God. They're coming in according to Ecclesiastes 11 on every wave. Cast your seed, amen. Cast your bread out there. We want to talk a little bit more about this verse in Galatians chapter 6. Go with me again, and then I'm going to move forward uh, based on this foundation. let just give you an example, a parallel, as you're turning over there. Um, I was raised... Mostly Illinois Synod and uh, Evangelical Lutheran. And one thing I would tell you is that in all the years I went, we never heard much, if anything, about the Holy Spirit. And our order of service or liturgy, even Pentecostal charismatic churches have a liturgy. They just don't call it that. Can I have an amen? Amen. Whenever a scripture came up about the Holy Spirit, it was in a reading, but it was never expounded upon. And part of the reason was the massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit that hit several of the Lutheran seminaries in the 70s. Many of the professors and many of the students received the Holy Ghost through the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And the only thing they basically could do is say, you're welcome to practice this privately, but corporately you can't espouse this. I don't know if your leaders were ever told that, but ours were told that emphatically. And so they didn't talk about it publicly. Um, And so growing up, there wasn't a lot of knowledge about the things of the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. When uh, the night I got saved, about three days before, my high school graduation in June, uh, you talk about ruining your high school graduation parties, amen. (laughs) 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 Got born again, and the same night that I got born again, I'm not talking about going to church, being confirmed, I was confirmed, but I mean in my own heart, my own personal commitment to Jesus Christ, Received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I also received uh, a healing. Two years I struggled with an illness and I received a healing. And when that night came, it just a few weeks later, it dawned on me that all the symptoms are disappearing and, and to God's glory, man, He not only touched me that night, saved me, He also healed me. How I many you know the Holy Ghost does that? He yeah. <laughs> almost gives you more than you think. He's a more than enough God. But here's the thing. I was excited about the Holy Ghost. Still am. I thank God for his gifts. Yes. I'm still excited about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's why when Timothy was real, real little, we, we ministered to him and teach him about that. And over there in the dome, Jerry Henley came, uh, Sister Rita's husband, who's with Jesus right now. Uh, we prayed for him one night, and Jerry kind of laid his hands on his little chest, and right then and there, Lord, baptized him in the Holy Ghost. He was just barely over two, maybe two and a half years old. And um, he was riding in a car I told you a story with my mother-in-law in and, and Walmart and in the middle of the store. He was bursting in tongues. He was just expressing what he had on the inside of him. <laughs> and it probably would have been okay except Dorothy exclaimed for everyone to hear, I think he's speaking in tongues. <laughs> and he was. So I was excited about it. Uh, the good news of me not being subjected to maybe some religion on this matter is I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to share it. And in fact, I believe from the start that I was supposed to share it. Now watch this. The principle of in my early days of acquaintance with the gospel, not just part of it, but what? All of it. At that moment you're saved, you should be thinking other people should get saved too. Other people should hear my story. Other people should have what I have. I'm one of those four lepers outside the, the gate dying of starvation. They won't let me in. And if we go to the camp, they'll kill us. You know, we're, we're gone either way, so we'll get up and go. You know that story. What we have, we found in the camp, we should be giving to other people. That's right. Spiritual experiences and, and revelation. That's why it's wrong for us in fear of people not to teach these principles about the tithe and about seed time and harvest. Yeah. It's just wrong. Because we have found a buffet for us, individually as a family, the things that God has spread for us. How can we not go back and let others know? It's beyond malpractice. It's selfish. I could describe it in a thousand different ways, but it's not godly. So this idea that I'm somehow protecting people or, you know what, I'm considering people because people get so offended over this stuff. You think you're serving them. You're not serving them when you take something off the table for them. Right. It's just selfish. It's just It's just wrong. And so I'm telling you that I hadn't even been born again spirit-filled a month, and I had laid hands on 12 different people to receive the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. In the early days of my acquaintance with the gospel, what did I do? I believed that what I had was not just for me. You see what I'm saying to you? To share whatever it is. And somebody said, well, you must have been super convert, you must have been an apostle. You must have been a pastor. Let me help you out here. Someone who's saved two or three weeks is not qualified to be an apostle or a pastor. That's right. So that's not what was happening. You see, it wasn't an apostolic gift or anointing or even a pastoral anointing. It was a believer's anointing just sharing what they had. Like Ananias who was sent to what? The so Paul, a minister to him, he was physically healed, but he was also baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we know that he used his gifts because he told the Corinthians, I think God I speak in tongues more than you all. Um, and so in the early days of my acquaintance with the gospel, I jumped all over that. I wonder what you may have jumped on or didn't jump on. In these last days, God would have you jump on everything that's promised to the believer. how many more decades have to go by until we do what get onto this and so he's commending them on everybody else you know was kind of making their way towards that revelation they had it and they ran with it and that's what god's wanting you to do this year he wants you to be an example of what a sower looks like but also what it looks like to harvest when you've been faithful to sow say it with me seed time and harvest say seed time And harvest. harvest. I'll say it again. He never forgets a seed sown. The problem is we do. So maybe the Lord should remind us. Amen. So we can keep our faith out there for the things that have actually been sown. Uh, Galatians. Have you found it? Galatians 6. That's from the uh, NIV. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The man who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. Well, the context here is not just general good. What's the context? Sowing. The doing good he's talking about here, leave it in its context, is sowing. For at the proper time, watch this, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So if I am a sower, say it with me, I'm a sower. The only reason I would not reap is what? Yeah. So, I give up. And there's two ways to do it. One is to, to cease giving. That's a demonstration that you slipped into unbelief after believing originally. And two, just quitting on the thing saying nothing ever's going to happen with that. I didn't care about that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Um, Some of these things are monumental, you know, in our lives, and one of the monumental examples for this principle for me and Kelly, again, this is only, you know, 1992, so we hadn't arrived, and none of us have. But something about the principle just this rang with us, Brother Osteen, at sons and daughters conferences. He would talk about these principles, and we were blessed to be able to go to Houston and sit under his ministry during those meetings. And these things were taught, and then some resources were, were sent our way. Um, my sister is always very good to put things in our hands that would build our faith. I'd say, don't ever get tired of great faith-building resources. Amen. Amen. Take advantage of everything that is out there. We're blessed people, and. Uh, so we started having this stuff you know, germinating in our hearts. And what we we're trying to do is be just like the you know, in our early days of acquaintance with the gospel. Whatever part of the gospel you're becoming acquainted with, make sure you jump on it. We haven't gotten there. There are things yet that God may be revealing to you. Everybody's on, on the same path, but we're not in the same place. So when something becomes revelation to you, be like that Philippian believer. I'm just going gonna, gonna to jump all over this. In my early days of acquaintance about salvation or the baptism or healing, whatever it is, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to jump on it. And, um, you know, we had been given, you know, some Christmas presents and stuff like that, some cash, and at the end of the year 92, Kelly came to me and she said, I really believe that we need to sow this as a seed towards, you know, harvesting the blessing of a child. And um, we just prayed over that. And, I mean, they were still open. But it was, I mean, that was, you know, like, you know, last day, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, she runs that down to the Crisis Pregnancy Center, South Alternative, isn't that what they called it? And sowed that seed in faith, expecting God to do this. In March is when the pastor in Louisville came up to us and said that he had a baby, he didn't want him. Praise the Lord. December, January, February, March. He was supposed to be born in April, but he was actually taken by Cesarean May 6th and, uh, of 1993. And not only is that quite outstanding from $100 cash? See, you and I have this idea of thinking that unless it's something just so outrageous and large, it somehow doesn't impress the heart of God. Again, it's the faith that impresses God, yeah. it's the heart that impresses God. And I am telling you that, that, watch this $100 selling towards Alpha Alternative, trying to protect the unborn, yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal to God. And so we sow the seed, and not only does this happen, but the medical bills, the legal bills, we got nothing. You know, the money for legal bills, legal, medical, everything, we have nothing. The way this was set up at the time, and before, between that period of time and June, before we took over a temporary custody, $11,000 come into our hands. Everything was paid for everything associated with the process was taken care of. Amen. And on the other side of this story was a young girl who was pregnant out of wedlock and who's basically her, her in-laws, they weren't married, told her, you're going to have an abortion or we're going to kick you out. And so she said, I can't do that. Kicked her out on the streets of Radcliffe, Kentucky. Police picked her up and took her to Hannah's house in Louisville. That's where Bob Rogers ran into her and started to counsel her. Um, and the rest is history. You see how God moves. You see how God moves. And, you know, um, the story of, of Tim Hines. Don't tell us that seed time and harvest doesn't work. You're talking to the wrong people. We know how these things work. It's just some of these things stand out to you a whole lot more dramatic fashion than others, but all I know, that's the best hundred dollars we ever spent in our entire lives. <laughs> and now ministry's blessed. Amen. Amen. The anointings and the abilities and the call of God that's on his life. You know, only God could do something like that. But, you say, could God still have done something like that? He's sovereign. But I'm telling you, there's a connection between that hundred dollar seed, the open door, and all the funds to take care of it. You are never without hope. Listen to me. You are never without hope as long as you have seed. So that is bigger in the kingdom. Something happens when it gets into the kingdom. When it's sown into the kingdom, supernatural is attached to that thing. And it's no longer that $100 bill. It takes on an entirely new meaning into an entirely new life. And, you know, um, the way that uh, the way as God is moving right now, all we have to do is just simply latch on to what he's trying to teach us. And take it to a whole new level. How many of y'all ready to go to a new level of sowing, and a new level of, of reaping? What is he saying to you? Again, it goes back to the foundation as the tithe. This conversation is not for people who won't lay that foundation. But now we say, take us where we've never been before. Amen. Amen. And uh, what God has assigned us to do as, as a ministry, uh, we need to go down that path. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Say to me, there's a time to sow, and there's a time to reap. Now watch this from the JB Phillips. Don't be under any illusion. Get that out of your thinking. You cannot make a fool of God. You can't do this on the positive or negative end of it. You can't act and live like a heathen without there being a harvest. And you can't live for God and do what God says without God blessing you. Both ways, somebody trying to make a fool out of God, there's no accountability for living like they do. Yes, there is. Well, God doesn't care if you live for him and and do what you're supposed to do. It's so in advance. Oh, yes, he does. You can't make a fool out of him. God cannot what? Be mocked. The same people out there saying, well, where's the promise of his coming? You know, it's been all these thousands of years now. Well, they can mock all they want to, but one day their mocking is going to turn into, golly. And some of those people are going to be in the house of God. I'm under no illusion thinking that 100% of this congregation is going to go in the rapture. Wow, I just hit a nerve, didn't I? I would would love to say that, but the reality is to have everybody right with God who would call this their church home, physically here or not, that's, that's not probably the way it's going to be. So some of these people who played around are going to find out that God cannot be mocked. And guess what? No one's going to be able to say, well, you know, God really did not of us, did he? <laughs> I'll tell you, God just does these things and he doesn't even announce them. You know, how selfish of God to do that. What has he been doing? For, what, in Paul's day, Paul was saying, get ready, it could happen any time. How much more so now. So any person who's been under the word at all saying, well, that's not real fair. Can I tell you something? It is fair because he sowed Jesus and he wants his harvest. That's right. It's more than fair. Right. It's spiritual law that God gets his harvest out of the earth after he sowed his son. Amen. He wants his people. Amen. 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 And he's going to have them. God's not going to violate this principle. He's not going to be mocked. He's going to do what? He's going to have his people gathered. Amen. Hallelujah. Say with me. I'm one of them. Amen. Said, I am one of them. We're going to occupy until he comes. When he comes, we're going to go. Yes, amen. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. There comes a time when you grab this like a Philippian and you say to yourself, I'm no longer blaming everybody else for where I am. A person with a revelation of seed, time, and harvest does not go around blaming everybody for where they are in life. They are quintessentially and essentially, what? A person who takes responsibility. It's easy to say, I am where I am because of what they did or what they said or what they sowed. But according to the Word of God, everybody say the Word of God. Hey, there's an idea. What does the Word say about this? The Word says man's harvest in life depends entirely upon the seeds that he has sown. The Amplified. Amen. So while somebody can do something or say something, you get this revelation, nobody can stop your life from being awesome and wonderful and beautiful and victorious. Nobody can stop that. Well, you know, I had this relative. Well, this person over here. Well, I had this particular person cross my path, and they do this, and they do that. Listen, God is well able to heal you of all of that stuff and then give you a revelation of seed time and harvest so you can sow a future that is awesome in God. A man's harvest in life depends entirely upon the seeds that he has sown. All we have to do is make sure that the seed is the right seed. Amen. Glory to God. For whatever a man sows, amplify that and that only is what he will reap. I want you to shout that out to me. For whatever Whatever. a man sows, that, That. that and only that is what he will reap. Now, what does the Bible tell us in 2 Corinthians 8, 7? Therefore, as you abound in everything, faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, love, what wonderful things to, you know, abound in, see that you abound in this grace of giving also. I find that astounding that he's telling me that my giving, my operation in giving should be equal to my abounding in faith. I should be just as good a giver as I am a person who loves I should be just as good a giver as somebody who is diligent or somebody who's walking in revelation knowledge. I'm diligent and I'm excelling in studying in the scriptures, but I'm also diligent in excelling in this grace of giving. Acts 20, 25 reminds us that everything I did show you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to what? Yeah. To give than what? They never you know why? Because of the blessing and being a, a part of somebody's solution, an answer to their prayer. But because of the seed being sown, there's a harvest coming off of that. It really has a double blessing to it. Amen? Where not giving is robbed of both of those blessings. Knowing you didn't help and knowing there's nothing coming because there's not been a seed It's actually sown. So if you don't have these down, write these down as we just kind of shift gears tonight. You harvest if you plant. That's deep. What if you don't plant? Then you don't harvest. You harvest what you plant. Amen. You harvest after you plant. How many of us would love to harvest before we plant? Wouldn't that be an easy system? Well, you know, Lord, I'm going to plant. Will that be good enough? doesn't work in natural agriculture. It won't work in spiritual agriculture. <laughs> you don't get a, a field full of grain, corn, or wheat, whatever, <laughs> unless you've actually sown the seed. You harvest more than you plant. Is that exciting? Amen. If you put a bushel out there, you don't get a bushel back. You get bushels, Plural. You harvest more than you plant. five, you harvest how you plant. That means in terms of spirit and attitude, we're going to reap in joy because we've sown what? In joy. And even if something's wrong, something's bad in your life, there's been a loss, there's been some source of sorrow, that should not dictate whether you sow. You'd be amazed how many... People let the devil shut down their sowing because they're going through a rough patch in life. Don't do it. You want to aggravate the devil? You go through a tough time, a setback, a hurt, a hardship. You go through a loss. Sow more than you ever have. You will absolutely aggravate the devil and set yourself up for success. You go ahead and cast your seed. Go ahead and sow your seed. Amen? While there's time, a time of mourning or sorrow, we'll see what happens. Amen. It's one of the things the devil uses sorrow to get to people to stop doing what they're supposed to do as a child of God. And yes, you can let that become the excuse and people can come by you and slap you on the back and say, I understand. But we're really not helping people if we don't encourage them to stay on the principles of God's word. No matter what season they're going through. Amen. So how do you plan? Well, write this down. Six principles out of plant. Then I'm going to talk to you about four hindrances tonight. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but as you think about sowing, how many want to be an expert sower? Let me ask you again, how many want to be an expert sower? Yeah. Number one, plant in love. It must be your supreme motivation. You love what God's done. You love the fact you're helping people. You love that you're spreading the gospel around the world. You love that you're doing practical things all the time. You know, uh, the other day, in conversation with Kelly, something came up about a, a need that the, the church addressed for somebody who was really hurting in the community. And uh, she just made this comment. She goes, you know what? You're, you're, you're doing stuff all the time. Nobody knows about it. You know what? That's really what Scripture is all about. Unless let your left hand know what? Your what your rights do. But I'm telling you that personally we're sowing, But I'm telling you as a church congregation, you are always helping people. You're always ministering to people. That's part of it. I told him one day at Christmas, I wish I was independently wealthy right now. I wish I was just beyond the pale because I would love to do nothing more than spend the rest of my life helping people. I've told people this and this is true. If I weren't called to do this, I would be down at St. Jude's giving my last breath, see if I could see another kid healed had a life given back to them. That's how much I believe in that organization. Incidentally, I don't say that casually. I'm actually a supporter of St. Jude's, and that's one of the places outside of the immediate ministry network I would encourage you to support. I'm not saying this lightly. I'm telling you, it's good ground. I'm telling you, you will see a harvest in your life off of helping those kids. It's amazing what they do. It's an anointed place. It was started with anointing, and it's anointed to this day. Amen? Are you here? There are things happening all the time that are done, and the reason they're done is because of love is the greatest motivation. It's hard to see people suffer. If you can do something about it, you want to do something about it. I've had people come to me in this church and say, you know what, I just feel impressed to say this to you. If you come across a need or a situation, you know that you can't immediately take care of or there's more you know resources to you that meet the need, just let me know. You know what, God, God's pleased with that. Amen. And from time to time I I will do that. So you know what you mentioned this and here's a particular need, you can actually alleviate the distress here. Just want you to be aware of it. I think that's an awesome thing. Number two, plant in obedience. One thing about the tithe is you've settled it as a foundation. You've already dealt with the obedience and you've already dealt with the implications of walking out the word of God. Now, sowing becomes more directed and more personal for you. The tithe plainly, according to scripture, comes into the storehouse. But God may speak to you about missionaries or ministries or people that are hurting or organizations or whatever. You've got to be able to hear from God and do what you're told to do. Because you maybe be, mind your business, you know, in a store and all of a sudden you, you sense that this person is in trouble or needs help. You've all seen people who have put food items back. Isn't it wonderful to be able to tell them to put those food items back in their cart and check out? Or someone who, you know, uh, couldn't put but a few dollars of gas in their gas tank? I read a story the other day about a police officer who saw a lady trying to put two or three dollars worth of fuel in her car. And he said, that's not acceptable. He just filled the thing up. Amen? I'm just telling you the way it is. You know, across the country, the, the mantra is to protect and to serve. And that's what most of them do. That's but you only hear about the ones that don't protect and serve. The ones that have power hunger issues and the ones that are abusive and the ones that should have retired years and years ago. You don't hear about that. But I'm telling you what, you can take that seriously. In our town across the country, overwhelming majority, of them that's exactly what they do, and you never hear about it. You know, a Kentucky trooper, you know, pulling off the side, there's a van full of little kids going to some kind of a soccer match, and a tire's blown out. Sitting there in that uniform, that beautiful uniform, getting all greasy and dirty to change that tire so these people can go about their business. Amen? Charlie's one of our honored peace officers, retired from Chicago. Amen? We thank God for him, don't we, church? Those that have served. Just as important. As if they served in the military. Some of them did all that. Served the military and they came and served, you know, the, you know, the communities with, uh, with law enforcement. It's a big deal. So that kind of heart that says, I, well, God told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. How I many glad that God still speaks? And when he tells you to do something significant, don't pretend that was the devil. The devil's not leading you to do something significant. The devil's not going to want you to be an agent of God's mercy and goodness to somebody else. That's the Lord talking to you. Amen. And as you hear and obey, you know, the responsibility may grow. God can trust you with more harvest because you're out there sowing. Number three, plant in cheerfulness. Make it always a thing of joy. Always tithe in joy. Always be excited. Always give and sow your seed with great joy, with great happiness. He loves what? What? That you're a forgiver. When I'm thinking about God saying he loves something, I believe he's on his, what? Well, I think he's on the edge of his seat ready to do something for that person. You know, my servant is excited about this. My servant's filled with joy. I'm going to do something great for them. He loves what? Again, it's not what I wrote. It's what the Bible says. He loves that you're a forgiver. Now, it doesn't mean he, he hates everybody else. The grumpy Christian giver. No, we know that he loves us. So what's he saying here? He catches attention he's thrilled excited and just overjoyed and highly motivated to harvest right back at you amen i mean glad we serve the god we serve number four plan in generosity don't be a miser don't be a tokenist you know five dollars to somebody has nothing is huge does that make sense A lot of these billionaires, you know, they get all the press for their, you know, million-dollar donation to this school or $2 million, you know, towards the COVID virus, and they're sitting on billions. Most Christians I know in and out of this church who are faithful tithers and givers, percentage-wise, they give a whole lot more than these millionaires and billionaires. Hands down. That's not a conviction that they have. Now, could they make a big difference? Oh, my goodness, the difference they could make if they were sowing in the right places investing in the right things but they don't have that revelation of that vision that's not our responsibility but generous means different things to different people amen based on ability and based on what they have you know he gave the the one man how many how many talents one and gave the other one two and he gave the other one five right what was he looking for a harvest from all of them so at this point in life, this station in life, you know, you may be walking around with one talent. What are you going to do with it? Complain about it? Bury it? No. Generosity. There are levels of generosity based on where people are at, but the spirit of generosity has nothing to do with the amount. And again, we're talking off the foundation of the tithe, living a lifestyle of a, of a sower being generous. Number five, planting expectation. If you still have that old dog religious thing in the back of your head that says, you know, if I give expecting to receive, that's not of God, that's not scriptural. Scriptural makes it very, very plain. By nature of the way the word of God is laid out and what it teaches, you should expect that your God will be faithful. Faithful is he who promised, what does it say? He will do it. If he's the one that promised it, You shouldn't get all hung up about saying, I'm going to believe God here and somehow feel that's wrong. People do stand up in pulpits, and they will say things like that. If you're believing God to give you a harvest, that's just plain wrong. That's not scriptural. Now, if you say to somebody you're not giving in in love and honor towards God, that's a different matter. But to tell somebody they shouldn't be expecting a harvest, it's not scriptural. It is not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money, a wrong relationship with money is the root of all evil. So someone who, who is a very generous, quick to do it, hilarious giver and substantial giver, God has blessed them with means and they do that, that's not a lover of money. A lot of people have no money. They're bigger lovers of money than people who are very wealthy in the body of Christ. Do you see this? So which one is really the lover of money? The one that's quick to sow? The lover of money is one that's slow to sow. No matter what station they're in or what level they're able to be generous at, you'd be expecting God to move. All you're saying is, God, you said these things. I wasn't around when you wrote this. (laughs) I neither have input or, or veto power over it. All I'm doing is discovering like the Philippians did. And I'm not going to wait until I'm practically dead to finally get the point. And the point is, in my early days of acquaintance with the gospel, quick to partner with God. Amen? Number six is plant in unity. Psalm 133 tells us the great benefits of unity when everybody catches the vision. Say it with me. Everybody a tither. Everybody a sower. Come on, say it. Everybody a tither everybody is sober. We love how pleasant and good it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That doesn't mean we all necessarily are on the same page and we've all arrived, you know, in terms of our thinking, our understanding, our revelation. We're talking about functional unity here. Where everybody is doing what they need to do. And the scripture tells us that anointing is developed, fruitfulness is the result, and eternal life is the mission in that context. Souls are one. Amen. Fruitfulness is the evidence of that. It's like the anointing of Aaron flowing down off of his beard. I tell you, the more people that are in functional unity, you will see lots and lots of anointing spring up in that situation. Amen. Is there a difference when a church sings and worships in unity? Yes. Yes. Is everybody going to do that necessarily? No, but you can see that the overwhelming majority of the church makes up their mind. They're going to press in. Amazing things are going to happen. doesn't matter when a church has functional unity for outreach. Yes. Yes, we asked you all to sign up for this outreach on the 27th of March. Go out and, and hand these uh, multilingual DVDs, Jesus DVDs out, and some resources from the church. Over 70 of you signed up. Uh, is that a big deal? Yeah. It's a big deal, and you can turn in a card tonight and say, I want to be a part of that as well, and we'll put you on that list. And we'll be sending out emails and details about that. But uh, imagine somebody in this community pops that DVD, and the Holy Ghost just jumps all over them. Yeah. Right there, the privacy of their own home. The Spirit of God moves in. And then their connection point is us or another church. But in this case, we're doing the outreach so we'll believe God. That they say, hey, you know, I need to know more about this thing. I need to know more about the walk with God. We're going to put the ABCs of Salvation in there and some resources about ministries. But can you imagine that you sow part of your life? See, when you work somewhere, it's, it's, it's not you know, some mystery what's going on. You're giving up a portion of your life for that money. Well, you're sowing a portion of what? Your life during that outreach. Should you expect the harvest? Harvest of souls, but also that God would move in your life. You care about his business, I tell you what, he'll care about your business. The smartest things you could do is serve in the house of God and serve in outreaches. You just think it's just a, a, a little deal, you know, we'll put some stuff out there. Well, praise the Lord, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, if you understood it, that you were sowing your life as a seed, you would have expected a harvest off of it. And now just just seen it as something that's dead, it matters. And I'll tell you what, it's going to matter that day as we go out in the anointing. It's going to produce an eternal harvest of souls. Yes. Yes. That's the nature. He goes with you. And I'll tell you, you'll sense it. Those of you that are used to doing outreaches, you'll know. And nobody's going to be in a vulnerable place or an embarrassing place. But I'm just telling you, you'll sense the presence of God as you go. Yes. You'll think you're one of those teams of seventy sent out, you know, two by two. Right, right? Even the demons submit to us in your name. You'll feel bold as a lion. And you'll feel the presence of God. Why? Because he's pleased with that kind of thing. So you do it. And not just, you know, general idea of of pie in the sky, unity, whatever. In other words, I'm not talking about Joe Biden type of unity, okay? I'm talking about real functional unity. Where you actually pass laws with the other party's involvement. Not without any vote at all. Moving right along, pastor. But functional unity, amen? I don't even know, Joe could say functional unity, but moving right along. (laughs) I have so much I want to say, I just don't have the liberty to say it yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, Praise God. Everybody say it. Functional. Functional. Unity. Unity Unity in sowing. It was an interesting year last year. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, everything seemed like it was going to be a total dud of a year, um, but I saw a lot of functional unity. Even when people couldn't be here physically, Yeah. And we did something that uh, I don't know any other ministry did. We actually bought property in the middle of COVID. Um, which happens to be critical to what we're doing with, with the daycare, which is up and running strong. Praise the Lord! Thank God for all of you involved. Today. Amen. Give them a hand clap to thank God for your ministry. Um, but you you're not gonna you're not gonna do that. I mean, you're not gonna be faithful to pray and faithful to give and faithful to stay engaged, even when the church doesn't have physical services, unless you understand this principle of functional unity. You decide somebody else will take care of it. And there are always people like it, somebody else will take care of it. But I'm going to tell you what, an awful lot of people in this church didn't say it was somebody else's problem. Amen? No, it's our privilege to walk in this functional unity. Amen? Glory to God. Are you still here? Praise God. Amen. Say, I'm a sower. I have a lifestyle of a sower. I'm like those Philippians in my early days of the acquaintance of the gospel amen I just jumped all over that I'm going to share these four principles with you next week because if I get into a couple of them they're going to be here till midnight so <laughs> because they are they are important, important principles so say it with me, I am a Tyler I have resolved that now I'm becoming a lifestyle sower like never before. Come on, say it. I sow in love. I sow in obedience. I sow in cheerfulness. I sow in, in generosity. I sow in expectation. I sow in unity, functional unity. Everybody just doing what Scripture says regarding tithe, but then doing what God tells them to do in their sowing. It's amazing the the needs that can be met. You know, uh, Salvation Army, every Christmas, they'll start releasing some ads, and they put a little byline on their ad. It says, doing the greatest good. No, I, I don't get offended at that because I understand that in a practical standpoint, that's probably a very, very true statement. But the body of Christ all over the world, from hospitals to feeding programs to, to medical missions, um, you name it, to, to you know ground floor education around the world, there's an awful lot of sewing going on. And if the body of Christ were removed right now, this would be a very different planet. I don't want to be on this planet when the body of Christ is removed because that's when all the sowing has gone they're left here to fend for themselves under the horror that will be the judgment of God you and I weren't called according to Paul's theology to suffer God's wrath we're not called to that there's a lot of reasons why uh, you know I believe like I do but I'm telling you this that right now we're in the earth And in these last days, we shouldn't be less of sowers. We should be more. One of the reasons we're going down the path we're going with education is because we think the little minds in this community should not be subject to an ever-increasing progressive ideology that conflicts with the Word of God. And here's the deal. If we have five kids or 500, we're going to press forward. And little kids coming out of this program are going to be champions for Christ. I mean, they're going to be, you know, Bible wagging, tongue-talking, amen, sowing, giving, tithing, devil-casting, amen, prophesying on the streets by Dairy Queen. (laughs) From the littlest ones all the way through college programs, and God's working on on both ends simultaneously. But, uh, you know, in other words, we we shouldn't be withdrawing, you know, sitting back and, and singing Kumbaya waiting for him to come. We should be sowing our lives, sowing our resources, sowing our time, sowing our service like never before. Whatever God tells us to do, whatever we put our hands to, we know that he will bless. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about this this broad vision of being a sower for him. And if there's sowing going on, there's going to be reaping going on. Amen. Say it with me. I am a sower. That's my lifestyle. I fully expect harvest to break out in every area of my life. Amen. And y'all have a I sowed and God blessed story as well. Raise your hand if you have one of them. You sowed a seed and God did something. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody told me the other day they got a hold of this, this revelation and sowed a seed the other day. About an hour later, somebody texted them with a job. Coincidence? No. <laughs> there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. There's seed time and harvest. Isn't it sad for Christians to have more faith in, in coincidence than in the scriptures? God help us not to be like that. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Say it one time. I'm a sower. I'm a sower. I'm not a part-time planner. I sow for a living. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap and thank him for it.